Welcome to Quarantine Creatives. I'm Heath Rosella. Scott Cook is my guest today. Singer, songwriter, troubadour. Scott's an Alberta-based musician in Canada. He, uh, he's been spending the last 13 years traveling all over the world. He averages 150 shows a year, more than a dozen festivals every single year. And, uh, you know, he's a cool guy. I uh, I discovered his music kind of during this quarantine time, and he writes a lot about life on the open road and just sort of the, the call of that and the freedom of that, and in some ways the uh, the false promise of it. I, for one, have really missed being able to travel during this time, and Scott's music just sort of reminds me of what it's like to be out on the open road. I was in a job for the last 15 years where I traveled a lot, and I made it my goal in that job to bring the show I was producing to every single state in the country, and we did that. I brought the show to Germany. We got all over, and it wasn't just travel for travel's sake. You know, a lot of what I really pushed for and what I really believed in was telling local stories as much as possible, partnering with local communities to figure out exactly what the stories were in their neighborhoods. And that included a lot of indigenous stories. We talked to, you know, Pueblo tribes in the Southwest. We worked with some Native Hawaiian groups when we were in Oahu. And uh, it included a lot of very regional things as well. But, you know, for six months, I had been not only out of work, but uh, grounded for travel. And I traveled a lot personally, too. I loved it. And uh, I miss it. And Scott's music definitely reminds me of what I love about this big, beautiful country of ours, this big, beautiful planet of ours. Scott has been nominated twice for the Canadian Folk Music Award. He won the UK Songwriting Contest for the Folk and Acoustic category in 2013. And he has a new collection of songs out called Tangle of Souls. And I say collection of songs as opposed to album because this is actually much more than just a typical album. For one thing, you're not going to find it on your streaming platforms. Uh, you've got to go to scottcook.net and you can order physical copies there. And obviously, if you were out touring, you could have picked these up at the show. There is a CD that has music on it. But packaged with the CD is a very large book. I mean, 200 some pages. And uh, Scott is not only a songwriter and a, a singer, but he's also a writer and uh, a thinker. And so this collection, Tangle of Souls, it's his musings about life on the road and the inspiration for some of his songs. And it's a space for some of the bigger thoughts about identity, about what it means for him to be a Canadian and for us as Americans. I think identity comes across in a lot of ways in his work, politics, the planet, what are we doing to this place that we all call home, and what do we all have in common? So it's a really fascinating journey, and I recommend it. You know, check out scottcook.net, Tangle of Souls. You'll get music, you'll get a book, and uh, you'll think some thoughts. And you'll hear today, I don't know that either Scott or I have answers to anything, but we have thoughts and we're talking it out. You know, on one of my recent shows, I think it was with Aaron Lazar, we were talking just sort of about how much more self-aware 
this current generation is than those that came before. I think we're all searching for something more, a deeper meaning, the reason that we're here, the thing that drives us to wake up every day. And there are times, I think, where we feel like we found that in life. And there are times where that eludes us. And that whole cycle kind of ebbs and flows. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I think I'm definitely in that place now. This quarantine has caused me to have a lot of time with my thoughts, and a lot of time with my family. And I don't know that I want to give that up, you know, as I think about what comes next. The thought of being away from my kids as much as I used to be, even just six, seven months ago, being away from my wife, being away from my home. It's a lot to think about. And, you know, losing a longtime job that for me was my identity for a long time, having to find who I am in all of this has been, uh, it's been a great journey. And I appreciate that you guys have been along for the ride. Thank you for tuning in and uh, letting me have these conversations with fascinating people. So I'm going to talk to Scott Cook. Before the interview, I'm going to play a little sample of his song, Tangle of Souls, off the album, Tangle of Souls. As a kid, all I could think about was getting out and running around. Heard my teachers and my bosses making offers to tie me down. But the poets and the misfits, the lost and profound. Talking like the world's a big old tangle of souls. So I want to start with just sort of, you know, catching up with you, I guess. How have uh, the last, whatever, six, seven months been, this uh, this kind of quarantine COVID period? Um, it's It's been super interesting. It's yeah. uh, some new territory for me. I, uh, I actually moved into a house uh, at the beginning of February, yep. luckily after like 13 years of just living on the road and uh yeah the timing turned out to be pretty good i I left uh, at the end of february on tour and uh, i really didn't want to go at that time uh, but i had like three months of dates booked um so i uh yeah but so i left and uh yeah two weeks later i was i was driving home from austin and uh i've been i've been here ever since in edmonton and um it's been wonderful. Yeah, I'm living in a house with my sweetheart and digging into a whole bunch of creative projects and catching up with myself for the first time in a long time. Yeah, well, and that's what's so fascinating, I think, about your story is that, like you said, you've just been on the road for, you know, a decade plus. I mean, like literally living out of a van for a lot of that, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a series of mini vans. <laughs> um, there's still there's still a van waiting for me down in Australia as well. Yeah, but I mean, just that that shift of pace of going from, you know, doing many, many shows a year and driving all over the place. And I mean, not just in the U.S. and Canada, but you've been touring in Australia and in Asia and like to to put the brakes on that so suddenly. And, you know, this adjustment too of of moving into a house for the first time in a long time, like just what has that sort of done to, I don't know, just your your pace of life and your thought process and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, well, I guess I was kind of craving it for a while, and I had started to notice that, you know, on on the road, I would when I was looking at the calendar, like the the four days where that I'd have off, where I'd get to hang out in the 
same place, you know, or like two nights in a hotel where I didn't have to see anyone or talk to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> it started to be the started to be the things that I was really looking forward to uh, on the tour, which which made me think that I was probably getting to the end of a chapter. Um, so yeah, it's in a way it's 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 been it's been a gift that I wouldn't have given myself because I was feeling a lot of kind of forward momentum and wanted to keep up with that. I wouldn't have just called off, you know, taken a year off the road. Sure. That would have seemed like a crazy thing to do. Uh, but as it's turned out, it's, it's, it's really been wonderful. It's, it's been something I've been wanting. Um, I've just had kind of a, you know, 13 years of loose ends to sort of, uh, tie up and, uh, also, this album that I just came out with, it had, it had been mostly written, but I uh, I don't know where I would have found the time to do the editing and rewriting and the formatting and all that. And I feel like it, it really would have come out half cooked yeah. uh, if I hadn't had this sudden wealth of time. Yeah, well, and I want to talk to you about the album, too. I got a copy here in front of me, and it's... Uh... It's not like an album I'm used to seeing. It's uh, it's not a plastic case with a CD inside. I mean, it's a it's a big, thick, beautiful book uh, with just you know the it's got photos in it and just real pretty backgrounds and and lots of writing. And this isn't the first album you've done this way either. I mean, this has sort of been your thing for a while. Like, why is it important for you to deliver music along with sort of this greater context of just sort of where your mind is at? at the time that you're presenting it? Oh, well, I guess it's been a gradual process. Yeah, as you said, uh, the last one was about half this size and more pictures, but it also had a, a big essay and words and chords uh, to the songs and little preambles about the songs. And that one that one ended up selling more albums than, than any uh, I've ever had. Wow. In a, in a time when, you know, all my comrades are saying that it's impossible to sell physical CDs anymore. Right. So I guess in part it's just uh, it's been a kind of an, an interest of mine. I've always loved liner notes and uh, and sort of an ongoing ongoing fascination with that. And uh, and on the part of the of the people who are buying it, it just seems people people want to have some reason to take home the physical thing and have something to enjoy and dig a little deeper. So yeah, that's you know in in partly it's been motivated by demand, I guess, but also just. For me personally, it's become such a big effort to get a record out into the world with all the mail outs and, uh, you know, all the all the funding that you're trying to gather to make it happen. Yeah. And uh, just so much work goes into it that I just felt like I may as well I may as well write a book, you know, right. <laughs> just to, you know, in a way, like albums are kind of a snapshot of a, of a band in a particular place and time. Yeah. And I feel like the, the books themselves are, are, are kind of just an account of, of where I'm at and, and what I'm seeing in the world. And uh, they're a dispatch from a particular place and time. Yeah. You talked about sort of people moving to streaming and, you know, as a piece of that, even I think just the album sort of losing meaning right people listen to songs now more than the than they listen to a whole album like as a musician what is it that what's the difference i guess for you in, in putting together an album versus just thinking about you know a lot of your music's not on streaming i guess like why is it important to to have some sort of physical representation of it um well you know it doesn't even need to be physical in in a in a, in a way um i if I'm going to sit down and read a 240 page book, I'd rather hold it in my hand sure. than, than for it to be a PDF. But I think the album as an idea 
it's not necessarily connected to the medium so much as it is. It's a group of songs that come from a period in time that are put together in a certain order uh, to have a narrative arc. And some things get chosen and some get left out. But it's a, it's a whole story that you're trying to tell. Right. And so much of my experience of recorded music growing up was putting album sides on and listening to listening to the sides and slipping it over and listening to the other side and uh, and kind of following the arc that the that the artist was was laying out for me so yeah i feel like some of that gets lost when we're listening to music on shuffle or we're listening to music in the background so in in that sense i guess i'm still attached to the idea of an album and yeah i feel very grateful to have the luxury of not having to go all in on the streaming platforms you know i i, I put a couple singles up there in case uh festival director wants to make a playlist or you know in case uh that's how people are finding their music but yeah. um but i don't put the whole albums on there right because it's kind of an exploitative racket anyhow and uh i'm just glad i i, I don't have to go all in on that yeah you know, that i already have a uh, people who support me and uh, continue to buy the albums yeah, I mean, that's sort of, in, in musicians I've talked to, my understanding of it is like, you know, the streaming piece of it, people aren't thinking of it anymore as, as a revenue stream as much as sort of a promotion scheme to get people to live shows and, you know, try to make their money at the live shows. Uh, so it's, you know, mm. it's it's there, as, as you say, just sort of for, for discovery and stuff, but um, not really as, as a viable way to make money, at least, you know, for smaller artists, certainly. You have to be really, really big to to have any meaningful impact, it seems like, on those platforms. Yeah, to make any money on streaming, yeah, you, you need to be huge. Um, and the, the, the royalty rates, I don't know how these negotiations went, but I, I don't think the musicians' union was involved. Right. Um, well, I want to ask, you know, you were, you were talking about sort of a chapter of your life coming to a close just at the same time that, you know, all this COVID stuff was happening. I want to go back to the beginning of that chapter and just sort of understand what it was that first called you to the open road? What was it that made you say, you know what, I want to pack up a van and just drive around and, you know, play music for everybody? Um, going a long way back, I think I, I had a, a long fascination with the road from, you know, from my junior high school days, um, just kind of standing by the highway and <laughs> listening to radio and trucker songs. and Yeah. And uh, just dreaming of that kind of freedom and uh, reading Jack Kerouac when I was like 15, right. kind of climbing the walls of the school bus, you know, just super excited about about the world out there. Was this in Edmonton? Is that is that where you grew up? Uh, I, that's where I lived for high school. Yeah. My folks moved here uh, when I was in the middle of grade nine. Okay. So, uh, yeah. But, you know, even earlier as a as I was growing up, we'd always go on these big road trips to visit my uh, relatives in the States. And uh, so we'd drive across country and I just always had a love of that. And then I moved to Taiwan in uh, 2000 and lived over there for six years. And when I'd, I'd come back in the summertime and travel around and I just really, you know, I just wanted to see new things and meet new people and hear new music and uh, just see what I could see. So I was, I was really thirsty for that, um, for a long time, but gradually started trying to organize some gigs along the way and, uh, present myself as a, as a, as a professional or try to do that. Yeah. Uh, 
see what other people were doing and, and how the game was played and um, gradually getting into that on, on just kind of like little forays in the summers when I'd be at home. And uh, they were always financially disastrous, but I was, I was working, teaching kindergarten in Taiwan at the time. So I wasn't really too concerned about that. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually I just got to thinking I, I wanted to, I wanted to give it a go full time. And I just felt like the fear of getting old and regretting never having given it a shot outweighed the, 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 the fear of failing yeah. at it. And the stakes were relatively low too, I guess, right? I mean, you're young. There, there's not a huge cost of living associated with it. Like you're, you're living in your vehicle and <laughs> driving around. So you know, there's not like had you failed at it, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. It feels like maybe, right? Yeah, I guess that was yeah, that was my feeling too. I mean, it, it, it didn't require a big investment to you know. I just put a mattress in the back of the van and 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 set out. And so yeah, my overhead was low. My expectations were low. At first, I was just playing in bars, and you know, I'd be lucky if I made a hundred dollars in a night. But I was having a blast, and I was seeing new country and meeting new people, and I'm doing all all, all what I'd set out to do, I guess. So I, I hadn't really set my sights that high. Yeah. But I thought probably within a a year or two, I'd kind of I'd kind of know whether it was going to work or not. Like right. something big would happen, or it wouldn't happen. And and I think that's a common sort of conception of the music industry you know that that you'll be discovered or that you'll find some kind of savior but yeah it wasn't it wasn't uh nothing big happened you know it just it just grew organically and slowly and gradually more people invited me to play concerts in their living rooms and uh, i started to learn what to do with an audience when you have their full attention um you know as opposed to being ignored in the, in the corner of a bar and um yeah, and gradually just that network grew, and uh, and it started to make more and more sense. And uh, eventually, it was it it started to started to actually pay the bills and make money. Um, but it was a it was a real gradual process, and uh, there was plenty of times along the way that I thought about quitting. But um, the last uh, oh I don't know last three or four years, I feel like it's it's kind of got a momentum of its own. And I'm really grateful for that, Um, that I just kind of know that I'll be able to continue to book shows and and that there's people out there who want to hear the song. Yeah. So but if that feeling's only been in the last three to four years, is that implying there's, you know, eight to 10 years of of struggle or doubt in that prior to really getting some clarity and saying, okay, this is the right move? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Yeah. I'm curious too the sort of that open road concept and just you know getting out and seeing everything in my head you know talking from the states here it's a very American notion I think like I'm curious sort of your perspective as a Canadian but also not just you know through the U.S. and Canada but you know you've done similar tours through Europe and through Australia and you know Taiwan and places like that like just that that idea of a road trip or or being out and you know just free on the open road like is that as american as i think it is or like how does that play out when you're in other scenarios i guess hmm. um the notion i inherited of it was certainly an american notion yeah um you know i, I mentioned kerouac uh, in particular there's almost like an exceptionalism built into those that ethos in a yeah, way. Sure. I mean, uh, 
those guys really were assholes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, looking back at it, the more I've kind of traveled around the world and been reminded of the role that troubadouring has played uh, through history, um, I think it's bigger than that. You know, there's uh, there's there's a place in the world for people who travel from town to town and carry people's songs around yeah. and carry news around and carry people's stories around. Hmm. I like that. What What's sort of the reception as you're traveling? Like, has that, did that ever surprise you or, you know, in the early days, maybe just sort of either the generosity that you encountered or, you know, the, uh, the opposite of that, I suppose. Um, it, it, it can be brutal at times for sure. And, you know, I think the world can be pretty ugly from the highway. Yeah. But, you know, I found these little pockets, these little, uh, like I call it a, a string of outposts in the, in the book that's really woven through the, the fabric of, uh, of our places and gives me lots of hope. People have been incredibly generous and there's so many people working on so many interesting things um, that I wouldn't have otherwise encountered, you know, if I hadn't been out there. Yeah. Uh, traveling around and kind of following the trail of breadcrumbs uh, that's led from one one outpost to the next. Yeah. You, you talk a lot in the book, too, just sort of about that dark side of it and, you know, your own struggles with alcoholism and addiction and things like that. And, you know, getting to the point or, or almost the point, I guess, of no return. I, I want to just talk about that for a minute of sort of just how you got to that place, I guess, like just the escalation of, of that sort of addiction. Um, yeah, I suppose it was, uh, uh, that was a long process too, you know, living in Taiwan was a bit of a, a bit of a Peter Pan sort of fantasy world sure. for us foreigners. And, uh, yeah, life was, life was pretty free and easy and relatively consequence free. And, um, yeah. And then kind of living on the road for a living and playing in bars a lot. Uh, I, I used alcohol to uh, kind of lubricate that whole that whole way of life. Even uh, deal with deal with kind of the ebbs and flows of things. You know, yeah. if I, if I didn't want to be, um, I didn't. I, I wasn't feeling like uh, meeting a whole bunch of strangers and having a party. Um, I would uh, use that to get in the mood, yeah. and um, and uh, also using it to cope uh, with the stresses of trying to manage the whole thing and and keep the whole show on the road. And, uh, yeah, so I, I, I used that and abused it and, uh, ended up in the hospital, uh, as a result, that was three years ago, uh, next month I'm coming up on my, on my other birthday. Um, but, uh, it was, you know, as it turned out, it was a, it was a really great thing to have happen because it showed me some things in myself that I was unwilling to look at. And just kind of just spun me around and made me really grateful to be alive and uh, grateful for all the all the opportunities uh, that I have and um, grateful for all the things I was I was taking for granted yeah. um, during that time. Right. And uh, it, it, it ended up being a being a theme in the book um, just because coming through that experience and getting a bit of a look at my own shadow got me thinking a lot about our broader addictions as a culture you know i mean we've also been told by scientists that we're gonna 
kill ourselves if we continue on the way we are and uh, and yet we're really desperate not to listen and wish things were otherwise and keep sort of trying to negotiate uh, our way out of it like yeah. uh, like an addict does yeah i i feel like there's there's helpful maybe illuminating parallels and all that yeah definitely i mean that was something i picked up on and, and was really interested in of just sort of that uh you know, being in that place as a culture and that idea, I think sometimes when you're fighting addiction, a lot of the people around you see it, but you don't always see it in yourself. And to everyone else, it's sort of crystal clear. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you know, come on. And it takes a long time to sort of accept that. And, you know, as you say, it's sort of you get if you're lucky, you get close to the edge of that point of no return and kind of get pulled back. Mm. But, you know, it feels like, especially when it comes to climate change and things right now, like there's a very good chance we could just go flying off that cliff and, and have no guardrail there, you know, and that's that's kind of frightening. But just sort of seeing that parallel, yeah. I guess, between, you know, human addiction and, and sort of planetary addiction, there's a there's a similar yeah. pattern there that you hit on. Yeah, I mean, we could we could already be past that point. We We right. don't really have any way of knowing. But uh yeah, but I I feel like you know even even knowing that in my own case that you know it was it was obvious enough to me that I couldn't carry on the way I was. I still went until my body stopped me. Yeah, and uh, and I feel like yeah, it's, it, it's similar with us as a species. You know, it's going to be fashionable to deny climate change until it isn't, and uh, <laughs> it's right. uh, you know it's getting pretty inescapable now particularly with the wildfires and that right. but yeah there's uh there's plenty of layers of denial involved in addiction yeah yeah i feel like the biggest thing for me uh you know since i got out of the hospital like every day i'm just super grateful for everything i have and i feel like as a species too you know we've really got everything we want yeah um, we're already living in eden i mean at least for us in the in the developed world, I mean, our our needs are all fulfilled. And you know, what is this crazy insatiability that's like driving us and generating you know ever new needs when like really we're all taken care of, we're fine. Yeah, I wonder if some of that for you that that appreciation comes from being on the road of just sort of you know seeing all these places. And I, I'm thinking about even just you know sort of having to camp in the van and stuff and like. A lot of the places where you park, I'm guessing anyways, you know, were very beautiful, perhaps. <laughs> like, just there there are parts of this country that, you know, certainly in the U.S., that people, you know, they fly over. <laughs> the, the, the deserts in the Southwest or, you know, parts of Texas, the Midwest, that, like, mm. when you're really kind of on the road and at that slower pace and, you know, stopping in towns and meeting people— there's just a different appreciation that I think you get for just the, the natural beauty of it. And that, that may inform a perspective on climate change that, you know, if you, if you just live in a cookie cutter suburb and, and never see those worlds, you know, it's, you're missing that piece maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. It really is an incredibly beautiful country. Um, and, and I don't know if everyone gets to see that. Yeah. Um, but also I feel like there's just such a, limited potential for magic in so many of our daily lives and sort mm. of the you know the landscape that late capitalism has left us with there's there's so little 
room for magic and uh, and and so in in that way too i think traveling there's just always serendipitous things happen there's always surprising generosities there's always these gifts uh of the road that that remind you you know and make you feel lucky yeah yeah so in a way i i guess that's yeah that's that's probably informed my gratitude yeah and i think too just culturally you know thinking about traveling all around the world and and realizing that you know we're all the same at the end of the day right we all want the same things we're all humans and i think it's it's very easy and it, it's there's opportunity in it for a lot of people and you know politicians or the media or whatever to uh to to categorize people based on race based on gender based on religion based on politics you know whatever it is and to try to to make as many us versus them camps as possible. But I just wonder mm-hmm. sort of like, you know, the more you travel, did that just sort of open up your world from a, from a humanistic standpoint? Definitely. Definitely. Certainly traveling around the world and meeting people of vastly different cultures and seeing people that are happy with way less than we have um, has, has definitely opened my eyes. Yeah. Um, but even, even traveling within the United States has reminded me and continues to remind me how, similar people are how yeah. fundamentally alike people are even though yeah as you said uh, people you know politicians in particular are really making hay out of our differences at the moment yeah uh, another thing that sort of came up in the book that i was really interested in was this sort of you have a lot of trust i guess in in sort of indigenous cultures and sort of trying to learn the lessons from these people that came before us that often you know have been sort of erased or forgotten like what what's sort of your perspective i guess or your interest in sort of relearning these indigenous practices well i i feel like these cultures there's there's a lot i could say and not too much that i want to say as a as a settler and a and and a non-expert um but i feel like we're estranged from our ancestors and uh, and our descendants and uh, our now is very short. We're really kind of lacking a, a bigger context, and I feel like there's some lessons uh, to be learned from from people who have managed to survive uh, for you know in one place for longer than we can even remember, longer than any of our history can even remember. Yeah. Do you, do you get a sense, like, as you're interacting with these people of just sort of a a, a revelry for their ancestry? Or, like, that that's a piece, I guess, that I feel like sometimes is, is missing, is not knowing. I mean, we don't even know basic history <laughs> sometimes, you know, World War II or World War One or something. But, like, you know, just that feeling of there were people here thousands of years before and they, pract- they passed on this practice, whether it's, you know, a cultural something you know music or dance or something like that or an agricultural practice or you know there's just there's this kind of this knowledge that gets passed on that yeah i think you're right there's a disconnect in that now right that we're we're not closing that loop as much as we should be in the western world mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and we don't even know how to survive i mean right the, you know the pandemic's really really driven that home i think you know, when everybody went and bought toilet paper, I think there's a there's a deeper, more basic fear uh, at the root of that, which is just like we don't actually know how to live. We don't, yeah. we, don't we don't know where to get water or food. Or so much of our our structure of value has nothing to do with basic necessities. 
you talk about uh, it being time for a big change and, you know, that it's not just one political party coming into power or, you know, passing some more regulations or something, but that there there is kind of a fundamental uh, a break in the way that we approach capitalism and politics and, and, you know, just all of that. Like, how do you imagine that we start getting back on the right track? Hmm. Well, I mean, the revolutionary impulse uh, is just driven by seeing how how deeply wrong things are and how how quickly things will will have to change. You know, I mean, especially in the shadow of climate change, it just seems like we don't really have a lot of time yeah. uh, to work things out. But looking at the world as well, I mean, so much lasting change has been incremental. And there's something to be said for that kind of long view. You know, I mean, here in Canada, uh, we've we've got socialized medicine. You know, that's one step in the right direction. Yeah. That's something within within reach. You know, that's really within reach. Most Americans want it. We we do, and everyone else has it. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 Democratic Party uh, establishment, you know, doesn't doesn't seem to want it, but most Americans do. It, it's within reach, and I feel like there's there's plenty of things uh within reach so yeah i guess i guess i feel like just everybody working on uh, in all their little ways on all the things that uh you know everybody's sort of working uh hoeing their own rope you know yeah. is uh is, is the way that change gets made and it's hard to see that it's hard to be reminded of that as one person working on one particular thing you know i often feel totally powerless and disconnected so that's kind of one of the things i was trying to get at with the book um it's just the ways in which we are all connected and all our work is working towards uh the same thing you know? yeah and i feel like that's something i've had to learn is just sort of that the approach is going to be different for everybody and it's going to be very individualized like we all have our own specialty and we all have our own our own talents to bring to the table and that like the way that we fight this, the way that we improve as a society is by kind of calling on everybody's talents and using them in the best way they can. I mean, for you, it's, it's music and writing and, you know, bringing awareness to it, people, you know, that way for people. Uh, but for other people, it may be policy based. It may be, you know, business based, whatever. There's just, everybody's going to have their own take on it and their own situation. And they have to be able to bring their, their talents forward i guess to to solve this it's not it's not like everybody's going to be able to do the same thing to get us out of this mess yeah 100 percent. there's as many as many ways to work on the world as there are people in it for sure i guess uh the biggest tragedy for me is is just the ways in which uh it seems like people are are, are divided and uh the, the ways in which i guess people maybe want everyone to think like them yeah. uh, in order to work toward a better world you know that that we need to all be of the same mind um which that's just not that's not uh it's just not going to happen yeah. we're not <laughs> and, we're not um, that way yeah 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 you know people have vastly different opinions on things but they still love their family uh they still want to live in a in a in an inhabitable world uh, they still care about truth and decency and uh and fairness. I mean, most people are, are, are on the same page in that way. Uh, 
even, you know, despite our ideological differences. Right, right. I want to ask you just part of, I feel like, the reason that you have a lot of clarity around these issues and can, you know, you've had some time to process this, I guess, is you write about the importance of journaling in your life and just sort of, you know, self-reflection and, and things like that. Like, I guess, what what was it that first led you to start journaling and why is it something that you continue to do? Hmm. I don't know what led me to start journaling. I guess reading led me to write. I hmm. guess it's just that. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it really has been a, a good practice for me to maintain throughout my life. I kind of pick it up and put it down at various times, but it helps me to connect to myself and it helps me to remember my dreams when I write them down. I, I also use it as a, as a creative practice for kind of priming the pump. And that's the thing that I took from uh, Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way, uh-huh. um, which is this practice of morning pages. Uh, when you just r- wake up and write three pages longhand first thing in the morning. Hmm. And um, that's, uh, for me, if I want to get into a creative space to, to, to actually write songs, I need to kind of turn off the business side of things. Yeah. Um, and I just need to turn turn my attention away from music as a career and just kind of prime that, that pump. And so I, I just, I, when I want to write songs, I go back into that daily practice and uh, wake up in the morning and write. And, and that just, it gets it flowing and yeah. it gets, it sort of, it opens a bridge to the subconscious and, uh, and just lets things bubble up. Yeah. I'm always curious, like, I don't have a songwriting instinct at all in me, <laughs> at least that I've tapped into. There may be latent in there, but, um, like, when you're writing a song, does it, do you start with uh, with lyrics and then put music to it? Or, like, do they sort of just flow organically for you? Every song find its, finds its own way into the world. It's always, yeah, I wouldn't say there's any there's any way for me anyway I, i've had a, a a couple like just delivered to me yeah um that just came but most of them i work on them for a long time quite often there's a there's an idea in my mind you know like something i want to talk about yeah and then i'll kind of cast around through my through my idea bag which is like you know all all, all the sort of if i'm just sitting around playing guitar and I come up with something that I think is interesting, I'll usually just record it in a little snippet on my phone. Mm. And if I'm hanging out with some folks and somebody says something that's interesting or I say something and somebody says, oh, there's a song in that, you know, and I just yeah. write it down. So I've got a big file of all those little bits of ideas. And I just kind of dig through all the fragments and see what what might uh, work toward whatever theme it is that I'm that I'm trying to approach and same dig through the musical ideas and see what what kind of might suit the mood or whatever and just start playing it and start kind of making some sounds <laughs> that, yeah. are, that are almost words or I I mean yeah there's there's a lot of different ways at it for sure yeah. uh, for me but but um uh quite often as my process has developed uh quite often i find myself actually setting some sort of arbitrary formal constraint like okay i want to have five lines in the verse and i want this a b a a b rhyme scheme or whatever it is um just some sort of formal constraint and whether that's maybe that's coming out of the first verse that i sort of stumbled on or maybe that's just 
coming from some other song that I heard that used a similar formal structure, whatever it is. Uh, and maybe that maybe that constraint needs to be changed as, as the work goes on. But yeah. I do find putting up some sort of scaffolding is helpful for me because it, it makes it more like trying to fill in a crossword puzzle, you know, where everything's got to fit with each other and you only got so much space in that, uh, as opposed to just staring at a blank page. Right. That's interesting. Just sort of that having some kind of skeleton to it and then just kind of coloring it in as you go. Does it, does it get to the point where it kind of, it transcends you? in a way like you're you're actively kind of writing it at first and then do, do you ever feel that there's a moment where it just has kind of given birth to itself and becomes its own organic thing yeah yeah i mean sometimes more than others okay like i said sometimes it's just been they a couple songs have just been dropped in my lap yeah and both both those songs actually the two in particular that i'm thinking of that were just just sort of came to me in the time it takes to sing them you know um both of them were kind of scared me because i wasn't sure if i wanted to say uh what they said um i wonder what people would think of me if i said that what what were they about uh one's one's a song to a friend uh, called wayside and one's a one's a song called the rambling kind about Uh um uh about loving and leaving really yeah but yeah i mean uh, most of mine I, I work on for a long time so it does feel like the craft is there i try to sweep up all the wood shavings when i'm done and make it look like it wasn't worked on but they are <laughs> they yeah. are worked on for for a long time but in a way i mean yeah what the the work is trying to figure out what the song wants to be yeah and wants to say and uh and in a way that kind of it, it kind of feels like something else. Like it might surprise you with where it goes or, or, or the, the, the twists and turns it takes. Yeah. Um, but uh, I also, I mean, I, I, I write to be understood. I think not to say that every, you know, song is didactic or that it has just one meaning or whatever, but I, I really do write with a listener in mind. And I find that songs, uh, a big part of the editing process, actually, and, and the way that songs develop for me is is by singing them for people. Mm. And you know which which lines aren't true, yeah. uh, don't feel don't feel true when when you can't like look people in the eyes and sing them. Mm. So there's kind of a yeah, there's there's something outside of me in that way too. In that the songs are for are for the listener. Yeah. I could imagine with all the time you've spent on the road over the last 13 years, like both listening to music in the car, perhaps, and letting that inspire things or maybe having silence on. And like, I'm just curious, like for all the time you spend on the road, what are you listening to most of that time? Is it, do you have music on or do you like the silence? Do you like talk radio? Like, what is it that that's just sort of in that subconscious as you're on the road for hours. Yeah, uh, I start with silence for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah I can drive for a few hours uh, before I want to put something on. And then, yeah, I usually scan the radio. I listen to a lot of stuff. I listen to talk radio. I listen to NPR, of course. I listen to right-wing talk radio as well. Yeah. I listen to uh, new country and religious stations and uh, all kinds of stuff that's, you know, not necessarily my bag, but I just find it interesting to hear what people are listening to and what they're talking about. And then, uh, yeah, I listen to CDs that I get 
given, you know, swapping them with other artists. I end up, usually on any tour, I end up with a big pile of those. I'll put those in. And I also listen to podcasts. I like uh, I like This American Life. I like uh, Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, Revisionist History. Yeah. I like uh, I like Joe Pug's thing, the, the working songwriter. I listen to Sam Harris. He has really interesting chats with a lot of interesting people. Podcast is kind of a relatively new format to me, I sure. guess, because I, I, I'm just a bit of a technological idiot and I you know wasn't used to listening to anything on my phone right but uh but I'm finding there's an awful lot of amazing stuff on that format and it's 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 actually got me thinking you know now that I'm off the road and have more time it's got me thinking about maybe doing some of that someday just because uh I meet a lot of interesting people with uh you know with interesting stories and kind of would be would be cool to give them an opportunity to you know tell their stories um to uh to a different audience well definitely you know just certainly before i before we've talked just sort of looking through your book and listening to your music but you know even in this conversation i realize you're a you're a storyteller i think first and foremost and you know whether that medium is music or writing or you know podcasting and talking to people you know i think you'd be great at it because there's a you've got a lot to say and it's just figuring out you know the the right place to uh to put that well, thanks Keith. yeah for sure it, it, it's also a matter of finding the time like yeah you, right. you've been doing these twice weekly have you yeah uh since may so it's <laughs> it's a lot that's amazing yeah you know and i, I want to like when i talk to people i want to have a real sense about them so you know it's a lot of watching their shows or reading their books or listening to music whatever like i don't want to go in just blind and you know so it's uh yeah you got to do your homework <laughs> but it's uh, yeah but it's that. fun it's a uh, it's a good time I want to sort of end it on uh, just sort of the idea of, of how your art inspires people. And you had this line in the book about, you know, wanting your music in particular to be like a pebble in a pond and just sort of letting it ripple out into people's lives. And I'm curious, just sort of like when those ripples have come back to you, like what have you learned from people or, you know, just what surprised you, I guess, when like, you know, a fan comes up to you and says, hey, I saw you two years ago and, you know, here's how this song impacted me or here, here's what, you know, change came in my life because of your music. Like what? Yeah. T- talk to me about just the, those ripples, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the biggest gift of it, really, I think. And that's that's it's been the most surprising thing, especially in the beginning uh, when I was starting out, because. I don't know if I had that in my mind is that that's what I was trying to do. Yeah. Like I, I just wanted to go out and see new places and get my kicks really. You know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking that I was on a mission to open hearts or heal people or, or anything like that, right. you know? And, and, and I mean, it even sounds self-important to say it, but you know, over the years, so many people have, have reached out to me and, and told me what it meant to them. In whatever way it was, whatever they were going through, yeah, it's 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 that that really has kept me afloat, you know, with all the sort of drudgery and and hard realities of of trying to make a life on the road as a musician and uh, get by and all all that all that's involved in that. Um, it's easy to wonder whether there's any point at all in uh, doing that work yeah. and singing songs, and uh, and people keep telling me that there is. And that's really what's that's what's kept me going. You know, I know I, I guess I know deep down that music's done that for me too. 
so I know it's possible. Hmm. Um, but it's but it's easy to doubt, uh, and I've doubted it every step of the way. Um, but I've been I've been supported. I felt supported, and uh, even during this uh, pandemic, you know, having to quit the road and not not being able to get out in front of audiences night after night, it's been really amazing to hear from people all around the world and to hear that that they felt you know that the songs meant something to them or that they felt like the, like the songs see them or they 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 felt seen and heard yeah they felt connected you know i feel like that's that's it's really humbling and it's and it's an honor and uh, i'm grateful to be able to do it all right there we go scott cook Scott's new album, Tangle of Souls, is available at scottcook.net. It's not just the music, but it comes packaged with a book of some of Scott's writings and thoughts. And uh, yeah, who knows where we're all headed. It's just crazy time, but uh, we'll get there. We'll figure it out. I don't want to tell you quickly about Monday's show. I'm going to be talking to Hubert Point du Jour. Hubert is one of the stars of the new Showtime limited series, the Good Lord Bird. The Good Lord Bird actually premieres on Sunday night on Showtime. So if you get a chance, watch the show Sunday night and then come back here on Monday. We're going to have a fascinating conversation about race and politics and all of it. The Good Lord Bird is the story of John Brown, the famous abolitionist whose raid on Harper's Ferry kind of kicked off the Civil War. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a relevant conversation for these days, unfortunately. You know, we're 150 years, 160 years past that, but here we are, still learning lessons from the Civil War. So Hubert Point du Jour on Monday's show. Come on back for that. Make sure you hit the subscribe button so you'll be one of the first ones to have that in your feed. I'm at Heath Rosella on Twitter and Instagram. So let me know what you guys are thinking about. If you're not registered yet, please go register to vote. Please know where you're voting. Vote early if you can. Stay safe, everyone. Have a good weekend.